with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. And this is the word of God to us. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they will not lose heart. Father, I pray that this morning your word would transform our lives, transform our families, and Lord, that through a transformation of the culture of our families, not only would our church be transformed, but the community around us. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I ask that your Holy Spirit would give me the words to speak. Lord, I pray that each person here, myself included, as the words are spoken, would have those words take root in our hearts and our lives. I pray for our kids, Lord, that they would hear your words even this morning and be drawn to you and desiring to live for you. I thank you for this, Lord, and I trust that you We'll do that work in each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're starting with wives, you know, because that's most important, right? No. We're starting with wives because that's what Paul put first. I don't know why he chose to, to pick on the wives first, but don't worry, ladies, we're next. So, um, but Paul starts out this section of application. So all of Colossians up to this point has mainly been a a theological argument for us of why Christ is supreme in all things, why Christ should be everything for us. Why? Because the people at Colossians were scared and being led astray by false teachers who said, well, there's a better way. There, there's this mystery over here that you need to know. There's a greater knowledge that you can have. But Paul's saying, no, Christ is everything. Right? We saw that two weeks ago when he said, Christ is all and in all. If we are believers in Christ, He is in us. And the last week we saw how this looks in every Christian life, but now Paul's getting down to direct application. And so this morning's message is entitled, The Home Where Christ is Supreme. The Home Where Christ is Supreme. And it's not an accident that Paul starts with the family. Why do you think there is such an attack on the family in the world we live in? Why do you think divorce and remarriage is such a big problem in the world we live in? Why do you think there are so many broken families, single mothers, single fathers? Why do you think that the television that we see is trying to portray a family that is not biblical? Or portray a sinful relationship in saying, this is marriage. This is what our world revolves around. They don't want a family as God has designed it. But God has a plan. God knows, as we should learn, that when Christ is supreme in the family, it will transform not only the family, but the church and the society around it. I don't think, as some commentators have been saying lately, that we have idolized family. 
I think, unfortunately, in the United States and around the world, we have degraded the family. We have degraded the value of children and of parents loving their children and guiding their children. But we need to change that. And Paul is saying it starts in the family. Culture starts in the family. It doesn't start out on television screens. It starts in your home. And when the culture of your home is transformed, it will transform the people who come into it. It'll transform the neighborhood you live in. And it'll transform the way the church functions. Because if you think about it, the Bible is full of describing our relationship to God as a family. Right? We're the children of God. So the family is a picture of God's relationship to the world. And unfortunately, when we get to fathers, we have a huge responsibility as fathers to lead our children well. We are emulating to them who the Father is, who the Heavenly Father is. Not perfectly, but our kids will have a relationship with God the Father, oftentimes related to how they relate to us. That's a difficult thing to grasp. So wives, don't worry. The husbands get attacked twice in this passage. (laughs) Not attacked, but we, we get plenty laid on us. But he starts with something that is very unpopular. Subject or submission. And this is not an optional thing. This verb is a, is a command. Now, this is not popular in the world now, is it? How many people out there say, well, you're not going to tell me what to do? That's, 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 that's what you see on TV, that the women are strong and the men are weak. And I'm not saying women can't be strong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, as a strong woman... You make a commitment. I love my husband. I know my husband loves the Lord. And since we both have Christ as king of our hearts, then I am willing, even when I don't totally agree, to submit to what he is asking. Not because he deserves it, right? But because I am a servant of God. It's a two-way street. Though, men must lead and women are expected to submit to their leadership. But what if men stop leading? What if men say, you know what, I'm not going to lead this family, I'm not going to lead this community, this whatever it is. I'm just going to sit back and be passive. I'm going to sit on the couch all day and watch the, the, the NFL or... I'm not, I'm not against sports. All you know I like playing sports. But if we're just sitting around and, and expecting our wives to serve us only and we're not leading our family, we should not be surprised if our wives stop wanting to submit to us. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't continue to do so and ask God to change our heart. Because, why? if Megan believes that I am under the lordship of Christ, then God can change my heart. She continues to submit, believing that God will change my heart. Believing that she is pleasing God above all things. 
But there is so much pressure from the world, especially towards women, to not submit. And I know there's differences. There are some women who are more submissive naturally. And there's some who are very strong-willed. I have both in my family. And um, it's difficult to submit for both in both situations. You may be naturally submissive, but there's pride. I think I'm right, and he's wrong. I don't think we've had too many of these things in my marriage, thankfully. But what do you do when you think your husband is wrong? First you say, okay, Lord, is this something that is against your will? Is there a scripture that says you shouldn't do this as a wife? And then from there... Determine whether it is of God's plan. We know it is His will because Paul is not making this an optional thing. Do we believe that the Word is inspired by God? If so, then it is a command of God through Paul. But this is the beauty. When this happens, when wives submit as unto the Lord, right? This is as is fitting into the Lord. When they do that, They are proclaiming to the world what the church does to Christ. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, and I would keep my finger here if I were you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. Paul, again, is saying, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It's interesting, isn't it? He's comparing wives' submission to the church's submission to Christ. But when we get to men, that, that carries a great responsibility for husbands. We're not to lead wives as though we're something and we have this autonomous authority. No, we are under Christ. We are to lead with love, and we, we, we get to that. But just in case you're saying, well, this is Paul. You know, Paul, Paul's out in left field. I mean, unfortunately, some people think Paul and Jesus aren't in alignment. It's not true. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul says, uh, Peter says this. He says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Why? Why why does he say this? So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. So you're telling me, Peter, that a wife may be able to change their husband's mind without speaking a word? That's what he's saying. Isn't that incredible? I'm sure Megan has had issues with me that she hasn't shared. Maybe she hasn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just the perfect husband. I doubt it. (laughs) But I know she prays for me because God changes my heart. I've had issues with her. And I had to pray and God changed her side. If I'd just gone 100% in, I can't believe you did this, ah, 
I might have been frustrated over something that was ignorant, honestly. But God changed my heart and hers through my prayer. He goes on in verse 2 of 2 Peter 3. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, that's, that's the result of seeing that, to seeing your way of respecting. Because as we know in the world, what do women love? What, what do they desire? They desire to know they're loved. Not that men don't, but they value that above all. As men desire to be respected. And so when your submission is unwillful, I'll do it even though I don't want to, you think that's going to make your husband feel respected? Maybe? Maybe not? If, if, if any time I asked Megan to do something, she said, I don't want to. Sorry, I have a child like that. So, <laughs> uh, Or no, but I'm going to do it anyways. Does that make does that make me as a husband feel like she respects me? I, I'll tell you, it doesn't, <laughs> as, it, as it would in any man in in this room. Paul Peter goes on and he he talks about how we dress, and he's not talking about hey um, don't dress with these things. He's he's saying look. God is concerned with the heart. Don't, don't let people think that you're a godly woman by the way you dress, the, what you put on. It's, it's what's in the heart. It's the imperishable quality, he says in verse 4, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. That doesn't mean that a wife can never speak. That's not what he's saying. We need to take this in context of the, the whole of Scripture. He goes on, he gives us an example in verse 5. He says, For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. What, what was that? In that, that gentle and quiet spirit? Being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. This is actually the word that we will later see as reference to children. The word for submit and obey are very similar words. They're so similar that they can be used for both uh, women and children. So Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What is that fear? What is the fear? What is it the world tells you will happen if you submit to your wives? Or your husband, sorry. Here, here I am. <laughs> what, what do they say? It will happen. Well, he's going to abuse you. He's going to take advantage of you. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not the truth. Not if your husband loves the Lord. Right? We're talking about a home where Christ is king. And it doesn't diminish the value of the wife. It actually causes her to be raised up and, and her to be praised, not only by her husband, but by the community. We are made to complement one another. But if we're both trying to fulfill the same roles, then it's, it's always going to be a clash the whole day, every moment. It amazes me. People say, well, that woman doesn't have a personality to do that. Well, I know... 
there's a specific person I'm thinking about, and she is very strong woman. But her husband is stronger, and she submits to him. And you see in their relationship a biblical picture of what happens when two people submit to the Lord. But God desires us to function as a family. And He desires this to spread to the society around us. And in Titus 2, verse 3 through 5, we see, you know, some of you here are already past the child raising and bearing days. Not all of us. But there is also a role for you in this. In 2 or Titus 2, 3 through 5, it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Teaching is where they want us. What? So that they may encourage young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not go and be dishonored. Isn't that a beauty that here in this church we have kind of a mix, thankfully. We're not all older and we're not all younger. I don't want that kind of church. I've never have. Because as young men, I need older men to look to and to, to teach me. Women, you need older women. And vice versa, you older women, you feel like, oh man, there just doesn't seem to be anything going on. Well, talk to young ladies. I promise you, you'll get excited. They, yes, they have struggles, but their excitement for life, we need each other. God, that's why God put the church together the way he did. He didn't say, let's all go to church together because we're all the same age. No, he desires that a church be whole and, and complete, and I know that's a side note, but it's just something that I'm very passionate about because we need one another. My wife needs older ladies to be speaking into her life. And the older ladies need to be encouraged that, you know what, I'm getting closer to the end. But there is hope. There is hope in our world. Yes, the world seems to be collapsing around us, but there is hope in this church. There's hope in these families, and they desire to grow. And, and I personally, the times that I have been able to pour into someone else, and I'm sure some of you ladies have experienced this too, just the joy of seeing someone begin to flourish because God gave you an opportunity to pour into them. And vice versa. We can learn from one another. There's things that my wife has to give to the elders, but she also desires from one another. But in that, you're encouraging one another. You're helping the, them be better wives, better mothers. Why? So that God will be honored. His word will show forth its power in our lives. And this is all done, if you go back to Colossians chapter 3, again, keep your finger in Ephesians, because we're going to reference that when we talk about husbands. But this is all done fitting to the Lord. 
not against the commands of the Lord. Murray Harris kind of translates it as this. He says, as is proper for those who belong to the Lord and are in the Lord's service. That's how you submit to your husbands. As is proper to those who belong to the Lord and are in His service. So wives, if you're thinking, I am a servant of God, and I want to submit to my, my husband in that way, as, his, as the servant of God, I want to serve him as he has designed in Scripture. Or we could say this, this is how Christian women live. Yes, the world hates it because it's not normal to them. But as Christians, this should be normal in our relationships. Well, women, we'll let you off the hook and you can start amen and now. I know you, you've been holding back, but uh, I haven't heard any husbands saying amen. I don't know. Uh, I thought they, I would get more amens out of them. Uh, but now you can start amening. I, I'm sure there'll be lots of amens here. Paul moves on and talks about husbands. And it's no accident that he starts with these two. Because here's the thing. If, if the husband and wife are not fulfilling their roles, they should not be surprised if their children do not want to obey them. If we are not being obedient to God, they notice and they say, well, you're not obeying the authority that God has over you. Why should we obey you? Not saying that's the whole issue. There's sin, obviously. My kids have sin that needs <laughs> the grace of God to transform their hearts. But if they see us being disobedient to God, they will have no reason to obey us. So Paul says in verse 19 of Colossians 3, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. When you lead, husbands, lead in love. Don't lead in selfishness, pride, your own ambition. Look, I know how easy it is to see a goal and just be like, I'm there. How many men are like this? Very goal-oriented. I think many of us. We're like, let's get to the goal. Well, sometimes trying to get to the goal, we leave wife embittered. <laughs> and we become bitter at them because they're impeding what we think we're supposed to, to be doing. But as Christian men, we need to make love our practice at all times. And this love is sacrificial. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5... Paul is giving a much big, broader picture in Ephesians when he talks about husbands. He says, Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he died for the church. We, we should be going to bed at night exhausted because we have provided and loved our, our wives and our children. Sometimes I'm not so great at it because I get physically exhausted with my work. And that, that affects the way that I respond, unfortunately, at times. 
But men are called to give themselves up. How many wives, if your husband was laying down his life for you daily, would have a problem submitting? Anyone? How many would be ready to submit right now? Willingly. This is a two-sided coin. When the women are obeying God and, and submitting and respecting their husbands, then the husband, it's easier for you to love. That doesn't mean, again, this, this is the two-side part. We are called to love whether they respect and honor us or not. Just like the, the admonition that Paul gave to pray and Peter, we should be praying for our wives. I think she's being insubmissive in this way. She doesn't do this willingly. It may be that God changes your mind and makes you realize that uh, you're in the wrong, or He will change her heart. I'm never in the wrong, so... (laughs) I got to look. uh, (laughs) So we know the truth. But Christ did this to cleanse us and to deliver us. And in verse 27 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. God did this so that the wife, or his wife, the the church would be glorified. You want your wife to be um, just as beautiful as she can be? Love her sacrificially. You want her to be the kind of woman that God has called her to be? Love her, even when she doesn't deserve it. Even when she gets on your nerves. You've done it occasionally, but not, a, not often. I'm being honest. We all have pet peeves that our significant other, whether husband or wife, does. Is, there, is that not the case? Yeah. Well, what does love do? It says, you know what? This is my pet peeve. It's not that big of a deal. Now, sometimes, some pet peeves are a little stronger than others. You have to say, honey, I know I know you want to put the toilet paper roll that way. This is opposite. Megan cares. I don't. I know you want to put the toilet paper roll that way, but can you please love me and put it the other way? I still don't understand the whole why it's such a big deal, but... Yeah, she just changes. She's like, well, it's not worth the, the battle. But we all have things that we came from a culture, right? We, our fam, each family has a culture. And we get those together, and guess what you have? A culture clash. It's even worse if you marry someone, you know, from, let's say you're from North America and you marry someone from Latin America. Then you have a double culture class. You have a family culture and then a societal culture and expectation. And it makes it difficult. But as Christians, it doesn't matter what culture we come from. When we commit to love one another, then it becomes sacrificial. It says, you know what? I have this pet peeve, but guess what? It's not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture, so... I can let it go. Or maybe you really have a hard time and you say, Honey, 
until God changes this thing side of me, I need you to help me. Because <laughs> I don't, as a husband, I don't want to be bitter at you over something so insignificant. But for some reason, I'm having a hard time letting go. Paul goes on in Ephesians 5, verse 28. He says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes Nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Our marriages proclaim to the world the gospel. Isn't that incredible? Our marriage was created to proclaim the love of Christ for the church. Husbands, this is why it's so hard to be a husband. Because we are supposed to be telling the world, by the way we love our wives, how Christ loved the church. But it's a call to lead. Not to back down, because leading requires... Strength. If you want to lead in love, you will have to make commitments that are difficult. You will have to lead by example. And Paul ends in Ephesians 5, verse 33. He says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. We see that joint work. When we are both submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and the husbands are saying, you know what, I love my wife. Yes, there are things that are difficult for me. She squeezes the toothpaste in the middle of the tube, and I like to roll it up from the end. Or vice versa. I don't know. Those were things that I actually heard in advice before I got married. This has been a problem for us. I'm like, really? (laughs) I'm like, I didn't know that could be a problem. (laughs) Megan's like, let's get every ounce of toothpaste out of the tube as possible, which is good. I mean, that means I'm saving money. Though my fingers are numb by the time we get to the end of the tube. But... As believers, we are called to lead. If you need a, a good guide to love, just go to 1 Corinthians 13, read 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, because it shows the patience, the kindness, the, the, the fact that we're not jealous and, and bragging about ourselves. We are seeking the best of our Spouse. And we endure with them even when we don't understand them. Husbands, sometimes, I know I'm a young guy, so uh, sometimes our wives don't even know why they're upset. I've had this, I've asked Megan sometimes, and she goes, I don't know. 
Actually, Brother Hamilton, he said, you need to go watch this one clip from Shenandoah. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but there's one clip where this young man, I, can't, I think it was Jimmy Stewart, and he's about to marry this girl, and he, she just runs off crying, and he's, what's going on? And he goes and talks to the, the daughter's, the, the girl's father, and the father says, this is the best advice, this is the advice you need to remember. Sometimes... Your wife will not know why she's crying. And you need to be okay with that. So, sometimes loving your wife is saying, I don't understand what's going on. Just listen and keep your mouth shut. Seriously. Sometimes Megan just wants to talk. I don't understand it. I'm not, I'm not a woman. So I don't understand that that uh, that thing. But once she's done talking, it's like, oh, she's good. I think, I think this is not uncommon for women. So, um, But as cr- Christian husbands, we, are, we should be constantly seeking ways to love our wives. Sacrificially. It doesn't, it's not easy, and I've not always succeeded. But... When Christ is Lord of our lives, we are able to do so. Now, I do want to encourage young men, since we have a few here who aren't married. You know, as you are being called to lead, Titus 2, 6 through 8 says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will not put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Young men, you are preparing to lead. Maybe you don't get married. I, that, is the, that is not the norm, though. And as a, a young man, you need to be preparing to lead well. So make the Word of God a the fount of your thinking, the fount of who you are, so that when that day comes, you may not lead a family at some point, but you are leading by example, by the life that you live. And as Christian men, you are called to be an example to the world. And if you are seeking to learn, to love, so the young women... If you're seeking to love rightly, love them as unto the Lord. Not, not as the world does. They see women as sexual objects, something to be conquered, and that's not the case. We are to love them like sisters. And then if the Lord opens that door, to go in. But until that happens, young men, you have a call to show yourself to be an example of a leader, to lead in the opportunities God gives, and to step into those roles. There's not a moment in our lives when we are not preparing for what God has in the future. Sometimes we don't realize it, because we never would have planned that move, or, or to go to that place, or to do that job. But if we are faithfully submitting ourselves to God, then we're prepared for every moment.
So if we are loving our wives, we won't, again, be embittered against them. We won't act harshly towards them when maybe they don't do things the way we thought they should have done it. Or maybe they misunderstood what we said, because there's never miscommunication in a marriage. Um, (laughs) That's a joke for those who aren't married. Um, But when there's miscommunication, not to get frustrated and angry. Look, I'm a prime example of letting that happen, and this is convicting to me. But to to move on, to be forgiving, and to realize that maybe my communication wasn't clear, or maybe... There was wax in her ears. We don't know. It could be, who knows, that my wife has five kids running around. Now, if I tell her something over the phone, how many of you think she's always going to remember that? No. It's, that's, that, that's an unfair expectation on my part. So loving our wives includes not becoming bitter at them over miscommunication or, or seemingly failed Submission. But that also includes being open with one another, communicating with one another when something isn't done, but in a loving way. Why? Because if we don't deal with it, eventually we will become bitter. And it'll become an explosion instead of a small conversation. And when we are doing this, when wives are submitting to the, their husbands as unto the Lord, and husbands are loving their wives, and then children come, the children have an example of what a marriage should look like. And they should be seeing how Christ loved the church through the husband, and how the church submits to Christ through the wife. We are proclaiming to our children every day the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, to me, is beautiful. Now, all of the parents here will have a great time, because now we can just talk to the kids. Kids, are we paying attention? I'm about to preach to you. I see some shaking hands. Verse 20 talks to children. He says, children, be obedient to your parents. In all things. I'm getting smiles. In all things. Not just some things. But in all things. Now, why, kids, do you think you should obey your parents? Well, the Bible says, For this is well-pleasing to the Father. To the Lord. So when you obey your parents, you please the Lord. You know, I picked this, this passage just for my kids. I, who cares about the other part? No, I'm teasing. But this is not optional. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And my kids know this song, because there's a little song that... Uh, I can't remember if it was Steve Green or the Donut Man saying. And it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. 
So God gave a promise to children who obey their parents. And so obedience is not optional. But for parents, how do we do that? One commentator, Hughes, he says, Obedience is to be nurtured by love and praise. Love and praise. Those two things. Yes, discipline is a part of asking for obedience. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What is this way that he should go? Is it, is it your way? You need to do exactly the way I tell you to do it? Or is it God's way? Maybe my son is not the kind of son who wants to be do construction or, or preach or um, doesn't like language like I do. Do I need to make sure that he, he's trained in the ways that I know? Or, or do I need to make sure he knows the Lord and let the Lord guide his steps? That's what he's saying. My daughters, they may not like baking as much as my wife. But they, when if we're training them in the Lord, in the things of the Lord, we're just saying, Lord... We want your kid, our kids to love you. What they do for a, a job, that's not our concern. We want them to know you and to have a relationship with you. And so our training is, is to train them in the Lord and let the Lord lead them to what He has called and made them for. And this includes discipline. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. How many of you know this to be true? Have you ever walked into a room and found something a kid did and you're like, where did that come from? How did you even think to do that? What? Yes, I have, multiple times. You're just like, I don't even know. I'm sure I never did that. Um, my parents will attest to how I never had foolishness in my heart, but <laughs> I did. But what does he say? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So do we just, we see our kids doing foolish things and we just start spanking? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying we warn them and then we discipline. And we have Degrees of discipline. We don't say, okay, every, every sin gets five lashes. Not that that's actually not a number we do, but we don't say every sin has the same discipline. No, we have to discipline differently. Some of my kids respond differently to discipline. Some respond much better to the rod, and some respond better to having things taken away for a season or for good. But we have to lead them. We have to realize that each one of our children is different. God created each of them as individuals in our discipline. Yes, we will we use the rod on all of our kids, but we use it differently and we also 
realize that each child will respond differently. Some are stronger willed and you give them the rod and they think it's the end of the world. And your neighbors hopefully can't hear through the walls. Like, give them one, one spank and it's the, the, the death knoll has come. Proverbs 29, 15 through 18 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. See, it's the two combined. It's not just that we give them the rod. The rod must be rep- followed by reproof. I'm spanking you because F X Y Z. We told you not to go outside without asking permission, and you went outside. And you know it's dangerous. We're spanking you to let you know that if you keep doing this, you could get really hurt. Right? So I'm reproving, and I'm not just going spanking and say, get out of here. No. The proverb, proverb says, he says, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. There are a lot of young people running around in our world who are bringing shame to their parents. And their parents have no clue why. And I think it's, I believe it's because we have shunned discipline in our country. From our schools. I can't spank my kids in public. If they start throwing a fit in public, guess what? We're going straight to the van. Maybe we can go pull somewhere where people can't see, or we're going home. They're not going to get get away with acting that way in public. But our world has come to the place where we think discipline is wrong. That impedes our children. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says the rod will push foolishness out of their minds. So why do you think there are so many foolish people running around in the world? Because their parents didn't love them enough to discipline them. Hebrews says that a father who does not correct his son doesn't love his son. When talking about us, he corrects us. 16 of Proverbs 29 says, When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. I want to delight in my kids. There are times when it is difficult. I will be honest. But I love my kids, and I want to see them grow up to be godly men and women. Women who love their husbands and love the lost. Men who are courageous and bold to lead, even though that might not be their personality. I want them to be my companions when I'm older. And that's why I want you all to be here with me, encouraging my kids, helping me teach them, helping me guide them. That's what the church is for, helping us grow together. My kids need each and every one of you just as much as they need me. They need older voices speaking into their lives. They need younger voices speaking into their lives.
But Paul doesn't end with obeying alone. He says, at the end he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or do not provoke your children. Now, provoking is a two-sided street. This word is actually translated in another place, a good provoking. Provoking someone to good works, to do what is right. So there's a good kind of provoking, which I think is godly discipline. But this kind of provoking is a provoke, a procovate, ugh, man, I can't even speak. It's provoking someone to do nothing, to rebel, to fight against you. The definition is irritate and frust someone, frustrate someone intensely. So I have an analogy here. I, I don't know a ton about horses, so I, but when you break a horse, there's two ways to do it. The first way is, and the most used way, is to slowly break a horse. So you have a wild horse, you, you get it used to being around people. Takes some time. And then you get close enough to touch the horse, but you don't you don't go you don't jump throw a saddle and jump on right away. You gotta take time. You gotta let the horse realize that you're not going to hurt them, you're you're there for their good, that they can trust you. Because why? That horse is huge. That horse could hurt you if it wanted to. You slowly do that, and then, then you introduce a bridle. You start slowly leading it and, and letting it learn that you know how to light, guide it. You give it a bit and you, you or a bit, sorry. And then and then you add maybe you put a blanket on. You don't put the full saddle on yet. You're you're still working with the horse. You're still teaching the horse. And you, you do it slowly in stages, and then you put the saddle on, but you don't jump on the saddle right away. You you let it Get used to the saddle for a couple weeks. And then finally the day comes when you can get on the horse and you have a well-trained horse, a horse that's going to do what a horse was made to do. And though that horse has a strong will and a spirit, guess what? It wants to use it for you. You know what the other way to break a horse is? With a two by four. I'm serious. With really bad horses, some people think you come up behind it, hit it in the back of the legs, and let it know that you're stronger than it, and it'll obey you. But guess what? It won't have a spirit anymore. It'll be an unspirited horse. And I think that's the that analogy for me describes what happens when you provoke your children. That horse no longer does, it's just broken. And a child is the same way. If, if we just break them down, we break their spirit and their will to fight, then guess what? When the world comes knocking, they're just going to give in and say, you know, whatever. I have some strong-willed horses in my stable. But God is faithful to turn those wills so that they want to serve Him wholeheartedly, and they will not be frustrated by the world's desire for their lives. But if I just try to break their will, 
what will happen? They will just give in. And they, they're going to rebel. It's, eventually, they're going to rebel, whether that's in the home or outside the home. They will rebel because they desire to be seen for who they are. That doesn't mean we don't discipline them. That doesn't mean, but our discipline is not provoking. We're not constantly expecting perfection from them and saying, well, I can't believe you didn't do this perfectly every time. No, that doesn't mean we don't ask them to be excellent in what they do, but we are giving them time. We're, we're really realizing just with that horse illustration that it takes time. They, they need to be taught slowly and given opportunity to fail, an opportunity to succeed and to, to, to praise them and show them love when they do succeed and, and not to be too hard on them when they fail. And when our discipline is done in anger, it will only provoke them. Or when we're impatient with them, or unwilling to, to explain to them how we're doing something. Have you, have you ever had a little kid come up to you and ask you the same question more than once? You're like, I already told you. Aren't you listening? I think the Lord does that with us sometimes. Haven't you heard my voice? No, repeat. What did you say again? I have one who's especially good at this. It's like, I've already told you four times. Do you not understand? But that's impatience in me. I have to realize that this child doesn't understand. They may be hearing the words coming out of my mouth, but they are like Charlie Brown. They're like, that doesn't compute. So I've got to either change the way I'm talking to them or I need to talk slower or, or help them understand, give them opportunity to process what I'm saying. It's not usually that they didn't hear me, it's that they didn't understand what I said. The, the, the reason that we don't provoke our children is we don't want them to lose heart. We don't want them to leave our home thinking, man, I could never please my dad or my mom. I could never get them to, to approve of me. And as grandparents, you have an opportunity to do this with your grandkids too. It's not just the, the ones who don't. Or if you don't have kids, you can do that with kids, helping them grow. We should be encouraging them, being patient with them. I know. I thought I was patient till I had kids. I've, I've said this, I think I said this last week. I'm more patient with adults who should know better, I found out, than I am sometimes with my kids. And I've had to repent of that. But when the family is subject to the Lord, when Christ is the supreme of the home, then we have not a perfect family. I'm not saying that, that there's no sin in the family. I'm not saying that. But we see a family where the wives love their husbands as the Lord loves them. And, as, and is submitting to, to the husband. And the husband is loving their wives so much, their wives are just like, oh man, I just want to submit to you all the time. Even when you don't deserve it. 
And then the kids, they see the love and the respect between the husband and the wife, and they're like, that's what marriage should look like. Yeah, they may, I guarantee you, my kids, when they're my age, are going to say, I think mom and dad could have done this better. These things better. But I pray that when they leave our home, they know two things. Well, three things. One, that we love the Lord more than anything. That we loved one another more than them. And that we love them with all our hearts. If those three things are true when our kids leave our home, then that is what I want to leave. I want them to know that my wife and I love them because we love the Lord and because we love each other. But it has to be in that order. It cannot be us loving our children so much that we submit ourselves to the world's view. Because that's what has happened. We have made children the despots of the home. We submit our wills to them everywhere we go, and then we wonder why the kids are turning out the way they are, because we're not training them anymore. We're expecting the public schools to do it. Sorry, that's not fair to the teachers. It's not fair to our kids. We should be training our children, whether they go to homeschool or public school or private school, That does not release the parents from the responsibility to train and lead our kids. But when this happens, the world will ask you, ask your wife, man, why does your husband treat you that way? In a good way. And us men, our our guy friends will say, I can't believe your wife treats you so kindly and so lovingly. Every time I talk to my wife, she gives me lip. Like, well, you could stop calling her ball and chain. That might help. I don't talk talk about my wife like that. Why? Because I love her. She's not my ball and chain. If so, I'm glad because I need a ball and chain like her. But I'm not going to call her that because she's not. And so as believers, it starts in the home. And when this culture of the home that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ seeps into the church and to the society, we see transformation. But it starts at home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us without application of your word. You haven't left us to where we don't know how to be there for one another and how to love our wives and husbands, how children are to live and how fathers are to lead their children and to love them. And I pray, Father, that we would honor you in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our relationships here in the church, that we would grow together and we would help one another grow, that the older women would speak into the lives of the younger, and the younger would have opportunities to share what God is doing. And the men would encourage the young men and vice versa, that we would be discipling one another and growing together. We thank you for your word this morning. I pray that we would apply these truths and that they would affect our homes. We thank you, Lord, for this, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.